Hey there, everybody, and welcome to the all-access edition of the ProWrestling.net TNA Impact Wrestling Audio Review. My name is Will Pruitt, and I do this on a weekly basis for ProWrestling.net. Haven't missed a week in a long, long time, and uh, always love coming online and talking about Impact. Uh, this is, of course, part of Free Audio Week for ProWrestling.net, and you've gotten the exclusive first time ever... .NET Weekly. It went up yesterday. If you did not get a chance to listen to it, please go back. Check out the all-access version of .NET Weekly. That is a weekly show that .NET members get with exclusive first-run news, breaking news covered on that, and all the stories of the week uh, mentioned and analyzed. If you're the type who uh, you like to stay caught up on wrestling, but maybe you don't have time to check a website all the time or to go back and, oh, there was a big story a little bit back, but... It got overrun by interviews that maybe had one notable quote. This is a great way to get caught up on everything on your drive into work, you know, while you're working out in the gym, anything like that. They cover all the major news of the week, news, analysis, and uh, a lot of times pay-per-view predictions and uh, things of that nature. Also, this week, because it's free audio week, you got a, a free version of the uh, Best of 2011.NET Countdown. And uh, that was myself and Jake Barnett. Again, it's a weekly show, normally breaking down the best and worst of the week. But Jake and I went a little bit off format and had some fun with the best of 2011 this week. So uh, make sure you go back and tune into that to see what we thought were the uh, best and worst moments of the year 2011 as, uh, you know, we kind of picked ourselves. And again, exclusive analysis there that you're not going to get anywhere else. And, you know, if you've been listening and you're listening to me and going, man, how do I become a .NET member? I got this Christmas money burning a hole in my pocket. I've got a, you know, my relative sent me this check and I have all the DVDs I need. Maybe I don't need any more clothes at this point. Check out ProWrestling.net. Um, if you're into audio, if you're into wrestling analysis, if you're into first-run wrestling news and interviews, ProWrestling.net is the place to be. For $7.50 a month, you can try it for just one month, and uh, this is a good month to try it with the Royal Rumble coming up. You're going to have our exclusive, uh, you know, audio reviews of that on top of, you know, just talking about the major moments, our predictions, our guesses, to see how right and wrong we are about the Rumble being booked or whatever. That's a great, great way to spend a $7.50, and if, you know, maybe you've tried it out for a month before and you know you like it, Maybe you want to commit a little bit. Maybe it's time to take that annual option. It's it gets down to five fifty a month when you take the annual option. That's a major savings from the seven fifty a month, and you're locked in for a year. ProWrestling.net exclusives, all of that. It's all yours, guys. Just go ahead and check it out. Head on over to ProWrestling.net, and there's a uh, membership link on the right hand side of the page. And an added bonus to the membership is the .NET members forum where. You know, it's a pretty active forum, and it's a welcoming place. It's not, you know, you get into some internet forums and a lot of, hey, noob, or, hey, this guy doesn't know anything, they're new. It's it's a very welcoming place. It's a very fun place to type and to talk about wrestling. Um, some smart people in there, people of all different makes, and uh, a lot of different opinions on wrestling, which I think makes it a ton of fun. It's definitely one of the major benefits to being a .NET member, and you know, I, I always say that the strongest endorsement I can give to .NET membership is that I was a paying member before I worked for the site. Before I started doing audio, before I started writing for the site, I was a paying .NET member, and I was more than happy with my purchase. So I can promise you that if you're a wrestling fan and you enjoy audio, you enjoy analysis, and uh, 
really you don't like a bunch of ads popping up every time you go to prowrestling.net, you also get ad-free access to the site. One of the best values in wrestling, and I can promise you that uh, you won't regret it if you take that annual option or if uh, you just try it out for a month. Please go ahead and check out prowrestling.net. And, you know, even if... uh, This plug's getting long, guys. Even if you uh, maybe don't want to commit to the membership option yet, but maybe you got a new iPhone or iPad or Kindle Fire for Christmas, download that prowrestling.net app onto it if you're not already using it. For me, that's it's kind of the gateway drug into .net because it's right there in your pocket. Take it out, waiting in line at the grocery store, pumping gas, you know, whatever. Take your phone out, check that. Right in the app, you get all of our news, all of our uh, analysis articles and everything. It's a nice little rundown, a great way to stay updated on wrestling on the go. Again, if you don't have a whole lot of time to dedicate to going to the website and reading everything, the app is a really nice way to do that. But uh, you guys didn't tune in to have me plug ProWrestling.net for five minutes, even though I did. Um, you tuned in to hear me talk about TNA Impact. Again, I'm Will Prude, and I do this on a weekly basis. And let's get into it. The major story of the December 29th episode of TNA Impact has to be the prominence of the Knockouts division on this show. And that's a really good story for uh, this show. It's awesome that uh, the Knockouts, not only were they in the opening segment, but Gail Kim versus Mickey James was the main event of this show. And uh, they put on a really good 15-minute match. I, I have to give kudos to Gail Kim and Mickey James for proving that they could go out there and have a good match with each other. I think their previous efforts in WWE and TNA were disappointments, and they really stepped it up in this one. It wasn't perfect, and we'll get into some issues that I had with the match when we get to the match, but the prominence of the Knockouts division here, treating them as a big deal, treating the Knockouts championship match as a big deal, it's a big step forward from bikini car wash and lingerie tag team match that, uh, and we were just there a month ago. It, TNA tonight, or on this show, presented the knockouts as a big deal. And, you know, you can't go wrong with that. It's one of their best ratings draws. And, you know, if you sit there and say, you know, I'm part of that pervy man demographic who just likes watching them for the TNA aspect, you still get that when they're presented seriously. You still, you know, a wrestling attire for women is made to uh, show off those... Uh, assets, if you will. You're still going to get that, but the rest of us who aren't in that pervy male wrestling, we also get satisfied by the fact that, you know, it's two of the best woman work, female workers in the world, especially of the last 10 years, and they're out there working a match, being taken seriously. The commentators aren't making jokes about pigeons and calling each other whores. The commentators are taking it seriously. The wrestlers are taking it seriously, and in the end, you get a well-presented match. That's that's awesome. But this show opened with a, a video package that focused on Madison Rain as the uh, new Knockouts vice president, as she was named by Karen Angle. Or Jarrett. Karen Jarrett. Why do I keep saying Karen Angle all the time? It was so a few years ago. But, uh... So we got that, and then Madison Rain and Gail Kim came to the ring, and Madison immediately yelled for uh, Miss Tessmacher and Tara to come to the ring. And they came out. Um, Rain said they're not going to be dragging things out, and she fired Tessmacher and Tara for disobeying her last week. And then Sting's music hit, and he, uh, joined the ladies in the ring. Sadly, Sting was just in kind of a white jacket, kind of a windbreaker type thing. He was not in the awesome white leather 
crazy jacket from a couple weeks back. Dude, that jacket was awesome. That I want to induct that jacket into the Hall of Fame. That's you know WWE's Hall of Fame needs to watch that and say Sting's jacket is the leader of our 2012 Hall of Fame class. Move on over, everyone else being inducted. If it's Rock, I don't care. Jacket. Um, but a rain kind of, you know, the second Sting got out there was like, hello, sir, and, you know, started treating him like the boss. And Rain and Sting then told Rain she has no power because she does not have the same contract that Karen did, and Karen simply named her the VP of the Knockouts. And uh, Rain got upset and started screeching, and Sting screeched back at her, and they got into a little screeching match. And then Sting said, uh, tonight there's going to be a Knockouts Championship match. It's going to be Gail Kim against this woman and uh, Mickey James' hardcore country music hit. And for a second, it actually sounded like Sting started singing the first part of that hardcore country music. Which I thought would have been awesome if everyone, when they introduced Mickey James, had to do the hardcore country themselves. Could you imagine, like... Jeremy Borash, you know, announcing a main event, hardcore country, you know, in his ring announcer voice, Sting doing it in his screechy voice. I think it would make me appreciate the hardcore country theme music a little more, because at the moment, I don't at all. But I announced the match, and James got a good reaction from the piped-in crowd, and Gail and Mickey James had a face-off. And at this point, it wasn't evident that this would be the main event of the evening, and I was just happy to see, hey, knockouts in the opening segment. You know, they're a consistent ratings draw, and this is a nice way to present them as stars, is put them in your main event. So, really nice work here. They did uh, some good um, promo work, and while, and I mentioned this in my Pruitt's Pause on ProWrestling.net, it's an article that I do for every episode of Raw, every episode of Impact, and every pay-per-view, short of, I think maybe I missed two or three pay-per-views this year, and One was on my anniversary, so I have an excuse. And by that, I mean my wife wouldn't let me write one. And, uh, you know, that's just life, isn't it? But it definitely, you know, I liked this opening segment. I would have liked to have had them promote this match a week out. And I say this almost every week when I talk about impact. If you want to make it matter, and for these shows especially, and I think um, if you remember, this show was taped... Um, as part of, like, a three-night or a four-night TNA tape-a-thon, where night one was a pay-per-view, and the next three nights they were taping four shows, and it was the entire build to Genesis that was taped in three nights. These shows should have a little more continuity. There should be a little more, you know, next week you're going to see this. They're, you know, they had the wild card tag tournament to fill time. They had that best of um, three exhibition series that concluded tonight to fill time, or concluded on the show to fill time. A great way to fill time would have been just to promote next week's show. To have Sting announce that that match would happen last week, or to have something happen where that match is pl- where they say this match is planned for next week, and it's going to be our main event next week. And in doing that and promoting those main events, and you're creating this continuity between the shows that one flows into the other, flows into the other. TNA has been good about this recently. TNA, I love the way that they promote a special episode of Impact. I mean. Going back to uh, the whole F and show version after Hardcore Justice in 2010 and up to, you know, just a few weeks ago. There's always an episode of Impact that is big, that they're promoting. They focus on it. They build it up for a couple weeks, much like they would a pay-per-view. A lot of times it does have a world title match. And you talk about that match. You talk, 
you have everything built to that, and that episode of Impact is a payoff, and then it flows into the next big episode of Impact that you promote for a few weeks in between. It's the pay-per-view model, but TNA doesn't really use the pay-per-view model for their pay-per-views. They can use it for TV, though, and it's been proven for them to draw ratings. What I'm suggesting is you use that model every week. You know, on this week's show, you promote next week's main event. You have a couple promos talking about next week's main event, and that gets stars that maybe aren't on the show wrestling. You know, you have James Storm talk about a match that he's going to have, what, against Bully Ray or something next week, have them cut a promo, have that built up, and then you have James Storm versus Bully Ray happen next week. You can show a little video package and make it a big deal. And then next week, maybe your next main event is uh, AJ Styles versus Kurt Angle or something. I'm throwing matches out here randomly. You have Styles and Angle, cut promos, talk about why the match matters, talk about how it plays into the current big feuds they're in, how this micro feud is going to play into it. Angle can talk about how he wants to prove that he can do what James Storm can, and he wants to prove that he can knock people out with one kick. Styles can talk about you know his quest for tag team championship gold with Kazarian and how a match against Angle is going to get him warmed up for the finals of the tag tournament or something like that. And you have that on the same week that you have a big main event, and that's next week's main event. And perpetually, you keep promoting these. If TNA can learn this, if TNA can start doing this, every show builds to every other show, and you're going to make money. You're going to raise your ratings that way because every week is going to matter. But moving on, we got uh, Scott Steiner and Abyss talking backstage. And uh, Scott Steiner talked about how they're a team now. And we went to commercial. When we came back, we got our first match of the night, which was AJ Styles and Kazarian defeating Scott Steiner and Abyss in a wildcard tag team tournament match in seven minutes and six seconds. Um, Steiner kind of jawed with the baby faces to start the match. And uh, Steiner... And Abyss looked really nice in this match. And I think credit to that goes to AJ Styles and Kazarian, who bumped around really well for him and kept this match entertaining the entire time. The finish of this one came... Um, Abyss hit the, ch- the shock treatment on Styles, choked Styles on the rope, and Abyss l- lunged a little bit at the ref. Steiner tagged himself back in to continue where Abyss left off. Steiner went for the Stoner line, for the Steiner line, got hit with a Pele from Styles... Both men tagged out. Kazarian did his best to uh, hit Abyss. And, uh, wow, I started talking about the finish like halfway through the match. That's that's cool, right? Basically, um, Abyss chokeslam Kazarian, tagged in Steiner, then hit Steiner with a black hole slam and allowed Kazarian to cover Steiner for the victory. And that was it. Um, Kazarian and Styles, although they looked really good throughout the match, won without actually doing one of their own moves to... Um, Steiner or Abyss, which I think kind of weakens them going into this tag team tournament and coming out of it, really. Which is sad, because you've got Styles, who is was just in a world title match last month, and now he needs Abyss to win matches? That's kind of weird. But Bully Ray ran out and cursed at Abyss for betraying Steiner, and we went to commercial. We came back, and Basically, Bully Ray and Abyss cut promos on each other, and the end of this exchange was a Monsters Ball match being made for Genesis. And that match will be Abyss versus Scott Steiner, and if Scott Steiner, or Abyss versus Bully Ray, my bad. And if Bully Ray defeats Abyss, Abyss will have to rejoin the ranks of Immortal. Now, I know what you're thinking. Immortal still exists? Apparently? Maybe Gunner's in it? I think... Bully Ray and Scott Steiner are in it too, but 
Yeah, I, I think they still exist. It's possible that they still exist. I'm, you know, I'm 98% sure they do, but, you know, sometimes I'm wrong. But I, I think the bigger issue with this is that the Monsters Ball match still exists. Now, if you think back to when the Monsters Ball match was originally created, I want to say in 2005, but I don't feel like looking it up right now, so I could be wrong. The original concept of this match is that the wrestlers participating in it are locked in tiny cells 24 hours before the match starts with no food and no water and no light. And then, when the match is supposed to start, they're released from their tiny cells to go and have a hardcore match. That's the idea of the Monster's Ball, is, like, some sort of sensory deprivation leads to violence. And that just seems weird. It's, I'd like my wrestling to be at least semi-realistic. I know it's a lot to ask, but the Monster's Ball match kind of takes away any sense of realism. I think at some point TNA dropped the entire idea of the, well, we're gonna have this match be this no-disqualification or this no food, no water thing. But when I hear Monsters Ball, I still think back to that type of match and just that kind of monstrous gimmick. It's weird, right? Like the whole no food, no water thing. Would you want that? I I don't want even wrestlers to pretend to be subjected to that. I want wrestlers to be like, dude, I ate some fettuccine Alfredo before that match. Michael Scott style, gotta carve up. Michael Scott's a genius, by the way, for carving up. Anyways, back seeing... But back Sting, backstage Sting and Kurt Angle were talking. Sting backstage segments need to be labeled as back stings. Now, that's what I'm going to say and never follow through with. So Sting and Angle um, talked, and Sting mentioned Angle going to Storm's hometown and kicking people with the worst super kicks anyone's ever seen. And uh, Sting said he's going to have to fight someone who utilizes kicks very well tonight. And that person that Angle was going to have to fight is RVD. And I guess Sting communicated that to Angle, because at the end of the segment, Angle said, I don't want to fight RVD. So, that's going to happen. Uh, Kurt Angle versus Rob Van Dam. I know it's not a it's not a major match in TNA now, because Rob Van Dam really belongs in the opening match. He's an opening match wrestler at this point. He brings a little bit of name power, but he doesn't bring motivation, good in-ring action, or good promos to the table. He doesn't bring anything more than just, hey, I'm Rob Van Dam, and you liked me when I got stoned in 1999. Like me when I get stoned in 2012. That's that's RVD's whole character. And it's kind of sad. But with the name power that RVD has, because he does bring a little bit of name power, and the name power that Kurt Angle has... This is a perfect example of a match that could have been promoted a week out. It would have drawn a rating next week. At least a little one. A little jump. Angle versus RVD, even in TNA, was a pay-per-view main event last year. It was something that they seemed to be building to till RVD, like, maxed out his dates and they decided to change things going into uh, Bound for Glory 2010. And they came up with the They storyline. Which was genius, I'm, I'm sure. But, uh, backstage, Ric Flair hyped Gunner. Oh, God. Gunner. I'm not kidding. Gunner. And called him a real bad man. And they talked about how that ambulance behind him, that's where people leave after they fight Gunner. Okay. This whole, the crippler, the, uh, DDT on concrete concussinator Gunner character, it's not getting over. 
It's not going to get over. Gunner does not seem like a bad man. Gunner really doesn't seem all that threatening when he makes his crazy eyes. The dude might be a good wrestler. I'm not going to say he's a bad wrestler. The dude might be a good wrestler. His character isn't working. His promos don't work. I don't, there's nothing about Gunner that screams star to me. You know, he had that run where he was the world champion defeater and he beat Sting and Mr. Anderson when they held world titles in, like, consecutive weeks. That was fine. You know, they tried to get Gunner over. And this latest attempt is basically sacrificing talent to Gunner. It's not going to get over, TNA. Abandon ship. Get out of there. Get Pull your stock out of Gunner. Send him to OBW. Let him get some character overhaul going. Then bring him back up when he's ready. But for right now, I don't feel like Gunner is ready. Then we had Austin Aries. Guy that's more than ready. Um, join Mike Tanay and Taz on commentary for the following match. And this match was Zima Ion against Anthony Nice in the finals of their uh, two of their uh, best two out of three series. Both guys tied at one match apiece. And, you know, they had good matches for the last two weeks. Pretty good. Five-minute matches, you know, lots of action, good exhibition stuff. And how did they say? They said, you know what? These matches are too good. How can we screw this up? How can we take a good series and give it five minutes just like we have, but how can we make these guys look bad in the ring? And you know what they went with? A contract on a pole match. And this was Zima Ion defeating Anthony Nice in a contract on a pole match in five minutes. And this one was just convoluted. They tried to work the pole in. They tried to do spots like they were climbing. And everything just seemed like, it took too long to set up for a big spot in this one, and it didn't click. And I don't blame these wrestlers. Many a wrestler has fallen prey to the on-a-pole stipulation ruining their matches. I think back to the Pinata matches and Juventud Guerrero, who was a pretty good wrestler until, you know, he uh, started pretending to be The Rock and then became part of the Mexicools. Man, Hoobie started to suck after a while. Um... But yeah, they they aren't the only wrestlers to have had their mat their uh, matches ruined. But um, Austin Aries added a lot to this one, even though the match was bad. He added a lot on commentary, and it just reinforced what I've been saying. When you're doing this series, why do you keep Austin Aries, Kid Cash, and Jesse Sorensen off TV for two weeks? And Austin Aries was the only one to appear. It's been three weeks since we've seen Kid Cash and Jesse Sorensen on TV. You got to put them somewhere. You've got to have them in backstage interviews. Why not have one of those three guys commentate each one of these matches and talk about going into a four-way match with one of these guys as an opponent? Easy way to get them on. Doesn't take, maybe takes two extra seconds to introduce them, but it doesn't really take any extra time. And you get uh, each of those guys appearing and get them over a little bit more. At the moment, Jesse Sorensen has been absent for a while because he was a little bit involved in the Kid Cash and um, Austin Aries rivalry, but not super involved. So, bad match. Went to commercial after the match, and we came back, and Douglas Williams was coming out. I was surprised. I like Douglas Williams. I think he's a really nice act. I think there's a lot of upside in him. He showed in that uh, exhibition title run he had in 2009 just how good his upside is, how great he can be on the mic, and really how in the exhibition he can be a star. He grounds that division in a way. He is a great guy for high flyers to work with because he's not going to fly at them. He's going to approach them with a ground game and make the high flyer stand out. He's a great guy to have in a four-way match or anything like that. So what did they do with Douglas Williams, who I'm talking up right now? 
They sacrificed him to Gunner. And this next match was Douglas Williams defeating Gunner by disqualification in um, under two minutes when Gunner pulled Douglas Williams out, hit him with things, DDT'd him on the concrete, and they went to commercial. We didn't even see the uh, stretcher job. Or no, they went to backstage. The second um, Williams was DDT'd, they went backstage to Bobby Roode walking. That's all it was. They didn't show Williams getting stretchered out. They didn't show him doing the ambulance thing. Nope, it was just Williams got DDT'd. You know the rest, and uh, let's cut it. Let's cut it out. This is the first instance. I, I wasn't mad about Jesse Neal or some of the other guys that Gunners beat, but this is the first in- instance of a very talented wrestler, a guy who really has the total package. He's a great wrestler. He's great on the mic, and he has a good character. Being sacrificed to Gunner. Gunner, of all people, to help get Gunner over. So now we have Douglas Williams, who's going to disappear for a while, because Gunner needed to get over. Gunner, people. Gunner. If you can't tell, I'm not a fan of Gunner. And when we came back from commercial, we saw a video package of, you know, that whole Bobby Roode's family, and it started with him, them talking him up going into Bound for Glory, then showed Bound for Glory and the turn on James Storm, and them saying how he's become less of a family man now. Then a good old off-the-chain hit, and we had Bobby Roode come to the ring. He uh, talked about how many people have expressed their opinions about his turn, and some of them were family and friends. He called, he said that they called him selfish, and this promo, it was basically Bobby Roode talking himself up. Then one of his friends that was part of the video packages, he said he had flown him here, and he brought him in from the crowd, brought him up to the ring, and um, his name was Tracy Koleski? Kowleski? Kowleski? Yeah, Tracy. It was a dude named Tracy. And um, he, when uh, this dude cut a promo on Rude saying, you know, I've been taking your kids to hockey practice. I've been, where have you been, man? I guess Bobby Rude just doesn't go home. That's his selfish generation character. And speaking of selfish generation, after... This friend cut a promo on Rude. Rude cut a promo on him saying, you know, he's the leader of the selfish generation and all this stuff. And for me, this prom- these Bobby Rude promos at this point are coming off too scripted. And not just, oh yeah, they're a little bullet pointy. He's like a politician hitting talking points scripted. He's out there making sure to get selfish generation and making sure to get all of these things in. And it doesn't sound natural. It doesn't look natural coming from Bobby Roode. And that's the real issue that we're running into now with this Bobby Roode heel push is it doesn't feel like it's coming from the person playing Bobby Roode. It seems like it's it's scripted. It's put on. It's, well, I'm going to use these heel mannerisms and tactics. When it first started and it seemed like desperation to beat James Storm, it felt real. There was something to it. There was something there with that. But then it became, well, I'm the leader of the selfish generation, and I'm all of these things. I'm the it factor of professional wrestling, and catchphrase, catchphrase, catchphrase. And not natural ones. Not, you know, I I buy into beer drinking Johnny Cash listening because I honestly believe that's how James Storm would describe himself on a dating show. That Bobby Roode wouldn't sit there and say these things on a dating show. That's, or on anything. That's not who he is. So, to me, this segment kind of was why Bobby Roode isn't getting over. And uh, it ended with uh, Bobby Roode trying to hurt his friend. Jeff Hardy ran out to make the stop, and you and 
and you got a Bobby Roode and Jeff Hardy standoff. And that was it. That was the only Jeff Hardy appearance on this show. He was absent for the rest of it. And I kind of think that's a good idea. A, they were promoting different things than uh, just Hardy and Roode. But it's also a good idea to hide Jeff Hardy's weaknesses. Jeff Hardy can't cut a promo to save his life. Jeff Hardy isn't entertaining on the mic. Jeff Hardy is not getting it done on the mic the way he needs to in TNA. And where in WWE, Jeff Hardy would come out and you'd have that 20,000-person crowd chanting his name and buying into what he said so his short promos worked really well. In TNA, you've got a 1,000 people who don't care. Maybe 900. I don't even know what the impact zone holds anymore if they're filling it up. You have as many as, you know, maybe 700 people who don't care as Jeff Hardy's talking, and, you know, they just go, oh, hey, I remember that guy from WWE. So, it's smart to not have him cut promos, but it also worries me. What's, if Jeff Hardy does become the centerpiece world champion in the company, which I don't think he should, but if he does, what happens? What happens to Jeff Hardy in that situation? What happens to that character? He can't really cut promos. Yeah, he can get it done in the ring. He can get it done really well in the ring. But without the promos to back it up, what do you do for the four weeks that lead into a major match? And that's, you know, that's something that TNA needs to think about when uh, pushing Hardy is there's a ceiling there. There's a there's more of a ceiling for him in TNA than there was in WWE. Then backstage we had ODB and Eric Young discussing strategy for their match, and Young talks about how the two of them were in love. Kill me. And then backstage, Kurt Angle complained about having to face RVD in a match. Yay, that was pointless. And then we had our fourth match of the night. And this was Samoa Joe and Magnus defeating ODB and Eric Young in a wild card tag team tournament match in 5 minutes and 16 seconds. And uh, as Eric Young and ODB walked to the ring, Young tried to lock up with Mike Tanay, everyone's favorite Mike Tanay, and... That wacky Mike and Eric, they locked up. I th- was this supposed to make Mike Tanay seem relevant and cool because Eric Young wanted to lock up with him? Uh, I think everyone knows that Mike Tanay's a bad commentator. That's, that's just, you know, I would rather Eric Young have knocked him out and Jeremy Borash had to take over on commentary. Even if Eric Young had to accidental, accidentally knock out Mike Tanay, I'd be cool with it, you know? Give him a little nerve pinch or something. Make Tanay sell it for the rest of the show and inform him that he is off commentary forever because he's awful. What's not awful, though, is the combination of Samoa Joe and Brutus Magnus. I really like them. I think there's a charisma there. There, There's always been something there with Magnus. And uh, with Joe and Magnus, I think it's kind of coming out. They have these similar attitudes that are a little bit different, but pretty similar. I think this could be Joe's ticket back to relevance and Magnus's ticket into really making something of himself. My worry here is that if they do win this tag team tournament, they're facing the charisma black hole of Crimson and uh, the blueprint Matt Morgan. And yeah, they are, you know, they're not the strongest guys. And I really see them just jobbing Joe and Magnus out to Morgan and Crimson and forgetting about him. Instead of saying, you know what, we captured something here with this tag team. Either let's make this feud go on or, you know what, let's have them win the tag titles and really see how far Joe and Magnus can go, how big they can become, and how much just this random pairing can revitalize what we're doing, tag team-wise. Because the pairing of Crimson and 
Matt Morgan is not going to set the world on fire because they're awful. So, speaking of awful, this match was kind of frustrating because where I think and really enjoy Joe and Magnus, on the other side of things, you have Young and ODB who are a comedy act, and they tried to get things going comedy-wise, but um, it just didn't work. This match ended when Samoa Joe hit Young with the muscle buster. You know, not a great match, but I really like Joe and Magnus as a team, so I'm not going to complain about them going over. Then we had a backstage segment. Um, it was the paparazzi-style camera just talking to Mickey James and asking her questions. And Mickey talked about how she's getting a fair shot at the Knockouts title and how she wants to win it and how much this means to her. And this is a really nice promo from James. I think with these backstage promos, you get a lot of understated work from people. A lot of just real. It feels and looks and seems real as they're talking about it. And it, it's them taking it seriously. And that's something that TNA has added with these backstage promos. And, you know, yeah, they've been doing this for a few years, really since Hogan and Bischoff came in on uh, January 4th. And it's been good since then. I, Yeah, it's had its bad points. And, you know, there were the 20-minute backstage, the cameras hiding in the window immortal shots that were just weird. But I, I appreciate and support this style of promo. And I think it can really... It's one of those next steps in wrestling's evolution and wrestling promos. The cameraman is acknowledged, and he's talking straight to him. You don't have a smiley Josh Matthews or another awkward person backstage holding a microphone. And TNA still does those, too, with Jeremy Borash. And they're pretty good. But I have to say, I fully support what they do with promos, with these backstage promos. Um, then we had our fifth match of the night. And that was Kurt Angle defeating RVD via disqualification in 5-11. And, okay, Kurt Angle, and I've mentioned this before, I don't know if it was all access or not, so I'll go over a little bit of it now. Kurt Angle has a formula to his matches. He's a good wrestler. But in 2003, what was in vogue in WWE was kind of this, I, I call it like the epic match feel. And you still see it a little bit in WWE from guys, but not near as much where guys are stealing each other's finishers, there's multiple finisher spots hit, there's a lot of kickouts, and it's this pop-the-crowd, shotgun-selling type of match, and sometimes it works really well. I think Undertaker has mastered this with his WrestleMania matches, and, you know, credit goes to Shawn Michaels and Triple H for working these types of matches really well, too. Angle, I don't feel like, works them as well, and Kurt Angle uses it too much. In a five-minute match, there were multiple attempted and, you know, roll up and kick out and moved finisher spots, and this one ended... With uh, Angle, for some reason, tuning up the band for Sweet Chin Music to mock uh, the Last Call Super Kick from James Storm. And I'm sorry, it's not everyone who does a super kick that does the stomp. It's one person. And that person is the Heartbreak Kid, Shawn Michaels. That's who the stomp is. If you want to use the Last Call Super Kick, that's fine, Kurt. But you don't do the stomp, because James Storm doesn't really do the stomp. If James started doing it, I would probably criticize it because it's synonymous with the Heartbreak Kid Shawn Michaels, the best wrestler of all time. Sorry, Ric Flair fans. But on top of that, you had Kurt Angle attempt a really bad super kick because his super kick sucks. And uh, then later on, you had James Storm come in out of nowhere, give Kurt Angle the super kick. Referee saw it, disqualified Angle, and that was the match. Or, yeah, no, disqualified RVD, and that was the match. Um, 
I just, I don't like having a DQ finish here. Or another one, I think. Yeah. Um, then we went to commercial, and when we came back, there was a video package of what we just saw. And this frustrates me. It frustrated me when they did it with the bonus five minutes, and it frustrates me um, a couple weeks ago, and it frustrates me now when it's a video package of what I just watched. It's a video package of what just happened on Impact. And the frustrating thing about it is TNA tries to present its show as live-to-tape, basically. It's that exciting live feel. It's the surprises. It's all of that. And these video packages are so overproduced that you know it wasn't produced in the commercial break. You know it was produced a week ago or two weeks ago or a few days ago even. But it loses the live feel. It makes the show feel less special. I understand why they want to use the video packages. And this was really the only uh, promo work we got from James Storm on this show was in this video package. And it was a good promo. Talking about, you know, Angle going and kicking in, you know, and kicking his friends and family members and how you don't mess with the, with the guy's good friends. I liked it. I think James Storm would have been better used cutting that promo in front of a live crowd, though. When you have, arguably, the best promo in the business right now in James Storm, he's in the class on his own. There's, you can say CM Punk, and to a degree, I'll believe you, but I think Punk's promos get too insider. If you want an everyman really good promo, James Storm is the guy to call. And all of WWE and all of TNA, especially in all of ROH, who, you know, they don't specialize in promos. But James Storm is the best promo in the business today. And you have him cutting little backstage promos. Not, you know, not cutting promos in front of the live crowd. He's one of the few things that can pop a TNA crowd. James Storm is an overact, and I almost feel like it's a little bit of sabotage. On him. It's a little bit of, uh, we don't really want this James Storm kid getting over, so we're going to do this. And that bums me out, because James Storm is better than that. And James Storm deserves better than that for the promo work that he's doing. That's a little bit dusty, a little bit Michael Hayes, and a little bit Stone Cold Steve Austin. It's great stuff, and I would really love to see Storm doing a little more. I'd really love to see Storm having a little bit more to work with, and yeah, it's hard when it's a feud that has been going on for a while, like the Kurt Angle one, to come up with new things to say, but you need to. Then uh, we had our main event starting at the beginning of the eighth quarter hour, and this was a full quarter hour main event. It was Gail Kim defeating Mickey James to retain the Knockouts Championship in 14 minutes and six seconds. So a pert near 15-minute match. You had one commercial break in there and some really good action from the Knockouts. Some great stuff, and what I didn't like is the ending. Because the end of the match saw a fan run in from the crowd while Hebner was attending to Kim, hit James with a, what according to Ryan Kester is a Peruvian neckbreaker. I did not know that. Thank you, Ryan Kester. And uh, for your always, always educational TNA Impact live coverage. Seriously, Ryan's a great guy, and uh, I appreciate him doing the live coverage that I rip off the jokes from every week when I do my audio on the show. Uh, Ryan needs to get on audio one of these days. I know it's just a phone call I have to make for him with him. Maybe next week. Ryan Kester, if you're listening, maybe next week we uh, need to team up for audio. Let's make this thing happen. And uh, that'll be member exclusive, by the way. So if you want to hear the Ryan Kester, which is also his Twitter handle, if you want to hear the Ryan Kester, get get that .NET membership this week and uh, we'll get it done. He's always a great guy to have on audio, too. He's a lot of fun. So, but 
This mystery figure hit James with a Peruvian neckbreaker. Kim rolled back in and covered Mickey James for the win. Hebner made a... Hebner wasn't hit or anything. There wasn't a ref bump. But Hebner made a three count that was like, one, two, three. That was the Earl Hebner count. I mean, was there a reason? No. And... That, to me, also takes away a little bit of realism. If the referee wasn't hit, they need to be making the same speed of three count. Or else it's just kind of an odd, well, the match is ending. Yep, it's ending. Yep, it's ending. Situation. But then we saw the mystery person who had ran and hit under the ring poke out, and it was a really odd face-painted Madison Rain. I'll bet Jeff Hardy just got bored backstage and was like, hey, Madison, let me see your face. And painted her face, because that's what it looked like. And the show went off the air with Gail Kim uh, um, holding up the Knockouts title and a shot of Madison Rain. So, you know, the Knockouts were the beginning and ending of this show. I can't say enough good about TNA pushing the Knockouts division like this. About TNA using their main ratings draws in two of their traditionally highest rated segments and as a main event. That's, some people will say, well, you don't you need them in other segments to draw ratings to those. I think you put these... You know, this makes, this just changes up the formula the formula a little bit, and it also gave you a break from some of those main event feuds. You know, you got a little bit of Angle and James Storm, but you didn't get a lot of their rivalry. You got a little bit of Bobby Roode and Jeff Hardy, but you didn't get a lot of their rivalry. And I like that aspect of things. What I didn't like was this finish with uh, the Madison Rain interference. I think when you have as good of a match as Gail Kim and Mickey James had for fit, for 14 minutes, when you have that kind of action, don't sully it with the interference. Don't muck it up, if you will, with the interference. Actually let let it play out to a finish. There's no harm when you have a match that good in someone losing it. When you have a match like that, you know, Mickey James gave it her all, but today Gail Kim was better. That's all you have to say. Gail Kim then looks better and more credible as a heel champion. Mickey James doesn't lose anything by losing that match. All it does is say, man, Mickey, next time she's coming after it harder. She's going to work harder. She's going to do better. And I think that's just an issue in TNA in general. They opt for DQ finishes. They opt for finishes where no one really gets over. And it's it's a tr- it's a track record that TNA has where they opt for these. You know, look at the TNA Bound for Glory main event. Look at Everything they've done with Bobby Roode and James Storm in a way. They opt for finishes where people don't get over. They opt for the Neven Steven style booking. They opt for a lot of things that TNA needs to watch out for. It's a pattern. When the booking gets in the way of the wrestling, and that's what's happening here, more than anything else, the booking, the way these guys are working is great. Or the uh, wrestling, the way these guys are working, the, they, they're working their tails off. They're wrestling good matches. You're seeing guys do well. But when the booking gets in the way, when what Bruce Pritchard and Vince Russo are coming up with gets in the way of what they're doing and makes it mean less than the matches would on their own, that's exactly what's happening. I felt like the booking got in the way of the wrestling on this show, and the booking is continuing to get in the way of the wrestling in TNA in general. And that is an issue. And TNA really needs to look at what they're doing to make that not an issue. So, pretty decent episode of Impact. That continued TNA's disturbing pattern of the booking getting in the way of wrestling. And you know what the booking does not get in the way of? ProWrestling.net audio. 
And I believe this week uh, you guys are going to get an all-access version of the Jason Powell Q&A. You also got an all-access version of the Chris Shore new audio show that includes a Q&A, an interview segment, uh, and a few current event talks. Uh, really interesting stuff from Chris. And that this was the first week he's done it. And um, to listen to how that show evolves and develops because I think it's going to be something pretty special. Get in on that ProWrestling.net membership. Once again... ProWrestling.net is the website. Membership link on the right-hand side of the page. You can't miss it. I'm not sure if it blinks anymore, but I know at one point it was blinking. Not sure if it still does. But this is a great season to get in on ProWrestling.net membership from now to WrestleMania. You know, we're, we're entering Rumble Mania season. It's starting. You know, my pulse is starting to get a little faster. I'm starting to get excited because I am excited about WrestleMania. You know, you're going to have exclusive news, exclusive backstage details that you're not going to get anywhere else. Jason Powell, one of the most well-connected men in the wrestling business, well, in the wrestling media business, he'll have things, you know. And we're going to be talking about a lot about CNN Rock, a lot of exclusive news and analysis. We're going to be talking a lot about what we assume is Triple H and Undertaker. We're going to be talking a lot just about WrestleMania 28 in general, about the Royal Rumble, about all of that. This is a great season to become a .NET member and traditionally this time of year is a great time to be a wrestling fan and uh, a great way to uh you know have a little more fandom and you know just to get a few more opinions impress your friends by repeating our analysis or never repeat our analysis because you know i i think we're impressive not me but you know the others they're pretty good jake barnett great and you know great with wrestling analysis like i said ryan kester chris Shore, jason powell and myself, I, I work with the best team in the business as far as wrestling news and analysis goes, and I really believe that. It, it's been my favorite wrestling news site for years, and getting to work on it is, you know, just a, uh, you know, ju- just an added bonus. So, thank you guys for listening. Remember, ProWrestling.net is a site. Thank you for uh, enjoying free audio week, and I hope you continue um, to do so. And uh, I'll talk to you again real soon. Thank you.